0: Well good to be with you all this morning and yeah, I'm really excited um, just to bring God's word to you. Um wanted to start with a story that the last few years has, has really captured me and God put on my heart this week and it comes from a, an ancient old book called Two Kings and um, in chapter 6 and um, it's about um, the prophet Elisha and um, it's quite an incredible journey to follow Elijah and then the handing over to Elisha. And Elisha is a bold young fella and uh, before Elijah ascended to heaven, because he's one of the few greats that overcame death um, um, outside of Christ, and um, Elijah told Elisha that if you are to see me leave this earth before I die, I'll, I'll grant you any any request, any promise through God. And Elisha's bold request was, well, I would like a double portion of what you've got. Um, And so I like that kind of guy. Um, He's bold, he's hungry, he's thirsty. And we see Elisha ask for a double portion of of an incredible, powerful prophet of God, someone who for the people of God led them and spoke um, on behalf really faithfully. Um, And so we see that Elisha actually is there in that moment and he sees the heavens open and Elijah ascends. And from then, Elisha um, receives the the coat of Elijah and he steps into incredible miracles. And actually, uh, similar to Elijah, Elisha is a figure that represents Christ. And the miracles he performed were in fact very similar to the miracles that the Son of God, Jesus, um, stepped into. Miracles of feeding and and healing. Miracles of of, um, water parting, um, healing. Um, sickness and leprosy being healed and just all kinds of of signs and wonders. But this story um, is at a moment where Elisha is um, being a a support to the king of Israel and a a really trusted um, part um, he plays in supporting the king of Israel at at an ancient time. And there's an army, an army that's heard Elisha is the one that keeps giving Israel victory and favour and blessing. And that Elisha is a man who hears from God. And so eventually this ancient Syrian kind of army, the Arameans, or Aramean army, um, they are seeking to destroy Elisha and they're wanting to take an attack on Israel. But Elisha, because he's so connected to God, he just hears of what's happening and and God wants to use Elisha to protect the people of God, the chosen people. And so in this story... um, Finally, they approach the attack on Elisha and that morning, Elisha sends out his servant and his servant comes back terrified because he says that our camp, our Israelite army is surrounded by horses, chariots and an army that wants to destroy you, Elisha and the Israelites and Elisha in this moment talks to God and he says, can you open the eyes of my servant? and suddenly the servant's eyes are opened and the servant to Elisha sees actually surrounding this army is an army of God armies of angels and chariots of fire not just chariots of horses and suddenly the servant's eyes are open to something far bigger and far greater far more protecting and the servant suddenly has a confidence however the army pursuing um, they don't know about that and so they're ready to destroy Elisha so again Elisha says God would you blind the army that are coming at us? And just as they're about to uh, approach Elisha and the Israelites, they're blinded and they're confused. And they, it's almost humorous, but they start talking to Elisha. And he says, oh, you won't find Elisha here. Come with me. And he leads this whole army into Samaria, an Israelite um, village. And then their eyes are opened and they find themselves, whilst they had been surrounding, now again they're surrounded all through Elisha and his connection with God and his trust and his ability to see beyond what's in front of him. And he gives that gift to his servant and then he takes it away from the enemy. And this story um, might seem like how the heck does this relate to Romans 12 and the Apostle Paul? And we're going to jump into him very shortly. But there's this moment where suddenly the the army that wants to kill Elisha and the Israelites is in Samaria. And the king of Israel, who's been guided, protected and cared for, says, Well, here, I've got an instant bunch of prisoners. And he says to Elisha, Shall I kill them now? Shall I kill them? And Elisha, in in his uh, wisdom and in his discussion with God, um, responds and says, Do not kill them. We can't just kill our prisoners there were certain rules around what what would um, is uh, God's laws around what you do do with prisoners, but not only not kill them. He says, instead, I want you to feed them, I want you to give them water and food, and I want you to bless them. And that's what the king does. And we read after that that um, actually for many years that Aramean, Aramean army stops chasing Elisha and stops pursuing Israel. Now it's a rare story in a, in a, in a quite a challenging. A history of God where judgment and murder and armies and wars are very evident and are very challenging parts of scripture for us to read. But here we see a glimpse of the mercy and the grace of God and that he calls God's people into. And it's this moment of compassion. And, and this picture this morning, um, I felt that it pointed to where we're heading and what Paul has been beginning to teach in Romans 12 that we've been spending uh, the last month in. And I had this sense that for us this morning as a church that I believe God wants to open our eyes to an even greater picture of, of how he's surrounding the problems and the battles you face. And to, it's a bit of a, almost a warning as well that actually persecution and attack and defense and judgment, that isn't the language of God. That isn't the language of Jesus. And instead we need to trust that around the armies attacking us, there's actually a greater army. You'll find in Matthew 18.10 that actually Jesus says that to each child there is an angel assigned. And even just that concept to me says that not only did Elisha's servants see that there were angels and chariots protecting the people of God, but Jesus brought the same message to us. But too often our eyes are what's in front of us and we cannot see and we've lost the belief that actually God promises that there are angels surrounding our battles. His presence, his love, and his promises are are waiting for us in what we face. So this morning, I I believe that's what God wants to do. So the question is, I wonder, what what parts of your life need a refreshed vision, a refreshed clarity over? And so as we get to today, this little part of, of Romans 12, a really practical part of Paul's teaching, Um, I should have it here on the screen. Just these two verses, um, verse 14 and 15. Paul declares to us, to, to, to the Romans church, which becomes a letter to encourage us, this radically different way. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I wanted to just for a minute refresh us. Um, There was a movie that came out last year called The Apostle Paul and I've got a photo of him. Uh, I'm not sure if you see any resemblance to this man but um, to me it looks like Monty in about five years. (laughs) But I found it interesting that that's how they've cast The Apostle Paul in a a movie that didn't have great success last year but uh, it's one that I've got on my list to watch and I reckon it would have some powerful visuals to the life of Paul. But I just wanted to remind us that, that this letter we're reading is at near the end of Romans. And Paul has spent teaching the Church of Rome before he arrives there the very heart of what happens when we're, we're born again in Jesus, when we're set free by the work and the love of Jesus on the cross. And that was the good news of the Gospel. And, and throughout Romans, it's a very theological letter that explains uh, the outward world and how we are restored internally inside and it's, it's dense, but it's beautiful. And it's written by the man Paul, who was a man himself who was so blinded that he was one that persecuted many. He murdered the Jews, the chosen people, the people of God. He was a persecutor. But one day he was blinded by God himself and came into an encounter with Jesus Christ and his life was changed forever. And so Paul, um, the, the apostle of Christ is often called, Um, referred to not one of the 12 disciples but um, someone who saw the christ resurrected and after he had died and and rose again on the cross gives paul an incredible authority that when um, much of the new testament's written by paul and so as we read the words of paul there's this authority because he was once blind but now he sees and so we get to this this word in romans where he paints this beautiful picture of the body of Christ and all the gifts that you each have coming together in sincere love to heal the world. And, and it's this incredible checklist of what it looks like to be worshippers, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And so this man, Paul, pens this letter and he, he starts it by saying, offer yourselves, you and I, everything we do, our bodies are living sacrifices. It's It's an act of worship. And then it gets incredibly practical, calling us it to honour other people, to love with sincerity, sincerity, to show hospitality, to be to be faithful in affliction, to be prayerful. And we've been looking through these traits, which I, I like to kind of almost view Romans 12 as the language of God, the language of Jesus. And it's it's calling you and me into how to walk like Jesus. That's what it's all about. For each of us, when we have an encounter like Paul with Jesus, Jesus dwells in us and wants to begin to transform how we live. And it's incredibly radical and different to the world. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul puts it like this. Very clearly he says, You have now been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And just this little catch cry in the book of Romans is, is basically saying to you, you no longer are a slave to sin. You do not have to sin. You do not have to curse. You do not have to judge. You do not have to stand up and, and, and try and um, bring God's judgment to the earth because Paul says that Jesus has done that. He's done it on the cross and you're no longer a slave to sin but you are now a slave to righteousness. And that concept, what does that mean to be a slave to being right with God? Well, Paul puts it that Christ is now in you, the hope of glory. That we are, we are now right with God and we're set free to become children of God. Verse 14 in chapter 8 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We were once, through sin, separated from God. But now nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing at all. And it's that level of freedom that calls us, calls you and I, to no longer curse, to no longer defend, attack and and live like the world may live. And that's where Paul's coming at when he lands into this new language of love, living like Jesus, in the way of Jesus. Because you don't need to sin anymore, you're free from that. Instead, I want to show you a new way to live. In Galatians, he, he brings in the fruits of the Holy Spirit and we begin to see this entire new way of living out of Jesus who lives in us and how he begins to speak and use us. And so as we come to today's, just these two verses, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. I'm wanting to encourage us um, from Paul about the power of blessing. It's this incredible new language that can change the world. The word bless uh, in the Greek is eulogio uh, or eulogio, However you say it, but it's where we get eulogy from, where we, when someone um, will, will die, that we will, a eulogy will be brought to their life, and it's a blessing of who they were and how they lived, and and it's this 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 word bless that appears um, quite a lot through the New Testament, and, and Jesus Himself uses this these words, that it means to speak well of, to praise, to celebrate, to invoke blessing, to make happy, to to prosper. And so Paul radically is saying, anyone that attacks you, I want you to praise them, celebrate them, love them. And Paul is just teaching what he learnt from Jesus, this radical way of life that I think for myself, as I've sat in this the last few weeks and for us today, that we need to come back into our lives and assess the level of blessing amidst persecution. Um, Dallas Willard, uh, in a quote, says that blessing is the projection of good life into the life of another. He's a writer and a pastor. It's projecting good life into another, and it's that that picture of looking at someone through God's eyes, through His heart. John Tyson, a pastor in New York, he describes blessing others as to bless is to bless someone is to desire. God's favour, goodness and purpose to be the crowning reality of the person's life. So it's almost like no matter what you're facing, your call is to treat them through God's heart. They were each made in God's image and to place a crown on their head and call them into who they can be and and look away from perhaps what you're seeing face to face. The word persecute, when you break down um, the the New Testament meaning from that and look through the the, diction, uh, the Greek dictionary, um, per, to persecute, and, and Paul probably meant it inside the church and outside the church. It was quite open um, for the Church of Rome, who, who both understood this on a large scale and a small scale. To persecute means to aggressively chase, like a hunter pursuing a catch, pursuing with haste, chasing desiring to overtake, to harass, to trouble, and to drive away. I wonder in your life at the moment if there's some people or some situations that feel like they're just chasing you down, they're hunting you down. Sue shared the start of our service that her week felt a little bit like that, like there was just something attacking and and chasing her down. And, And we know that that is the posture That is the language of the enemy. That is the language of Satan. And so we come to this incredible call from Paul, which he learnt from Jesus, to bless those who persecute you. And I'm not here this morning to tell you exactly how that looks. I believe that that God wants to guide and speak that into your heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. Even I felt overwhelmed uh, as I see all that's happening in the last few weeks and as I think about persecution, I think of the persecuted church, but then I think of the persecuted other religions, Um, the events of Christchurch. The suffering is just horrific the more we we read the news and the more we we look into what's happening around the world. I really believe that this concept that Jesus taught and that Paul reminds us this morning is... Is not necessarily just about religious persecution. I think it's there's an individual side to persecution. There's a communal side. There's a political side. There's a cultural side. And there's a whole range of ways that that we all experience persecution or that we observe it in our families, in our workplaces, and in our and our lives. And I, and I really want to. I believe God that somebody wants to personalize for for each of us that actually there's some personal attacks that you may be receiving, um, whether it's for who you are as a person or whether it's because you follow Jesus, because you attend church on a Sunday, because you're part of a minority in Australia that no longer has the necessarily loudest voice or the political dominance or the dominance in schools or um, education. This could speak to you in just numerous ways, but the call here is to live in a way that blesses and doesn't curse. I heard a story this week um, that's slightly radical, but I think a helpful expression of of we see it throughout Scripture. And I've I've heard incredible stories from incredibly persecuted cultures and communities and nations. And there's incredible books and incredible movies written about all sorts of um, powerful things that, that God does through forgiveness that God does through compassion, through blessing, through loving and celebrating others, even when they attack you. So, um, yeah, the story was about a student who's um, coming to Morling Baptist College next semester from Kenya. And, and I heard the story this week that, in fact, in the last six months their church was burnt down by a, a nearby village. Um, and there's all sorts of stories around around the news over the last few years particularly of people Incredibly, um, incredible amounts of persecution, uh, particularly in, in African nations. And the story about this this pastor was that yeah, his church was was burnt down. And as he sought God's heart and as he got advice, he felt called to forgive and to gift this other village. And so he took a team from their church and and gifted this community with gifts and said to them, "We forgive you for what you've done." And this incredible posture of blessing and grace and love that just screams of of Jesus and his love. Screams of the heart of God. And the story goes that now, um, after weeks and months, that people from that nearby village are now attending and a part of that church that's been rebuilt. And it's one of those stories that just reminds you that this isn't just a concept. This is very much a reality. That when we step into the nature of God the nature of Jesus, to bless and to love our enemies and to bless those who persecute us, it opens up a door for an incredible amount of God's love and power to move. Um, uh, The pastor of Bethel Church, who um, I really appreciate, Bill Johnson, um, has a great amount of wisdom when he teaches. He refers to compassion as a quality that can bring breakthrough at times when no amount of strategy, prayer or fasting even can. Uh, he refers to compassion. Sometimes no matter how much we pray or fast or strategize or plan, and we see it throughout the Old and New Testament, that compassion, that kindness opens up a door that nothing else could have. And I think we see that in this story about this, this, this Kenyan pastor. Uh, the ancient wisdom of Proverbs refers to it as putting a heap of burning coals on someone's head. It's probably less appropriate and and maybe connectable for us today. In one of the newer translations, in the Passion Translation, it it refers to it in uh, 25 verse 22, that your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favour. That your generosity will awaken something new. And it's that level of belief and faith that I I think Jesus calls us into. And that's the way of Jesus. And so I wonder in the situations you're facing, what would it look like instead of the judgment and the defense and the anger and the bitterness that so easily wants to rule and reign in your heart, what would it look like to hand that to Jesus and ask him to guide you to bless that situation or that person? What would it look like? And I wonder what God would do with that. This language of blessing we see from Genesis Um, Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall, which is often referred to as the curse. Um, If you want to just put Romans um, 12 back up, just to have it sitting over us. Um, The language of blessing, we see that when God created man and female and gave them the call over their lives, we read that God blessed them and called them to um, to be fruitful and to multiply and to subdue, to care and rule over the earth. But we read that God blessed them and that that was their blessed call before evil and before temptation and before sin took over. And so the language of God to bless was restored in the work of Jesus on the cross and that's why Jesus is teaching. And last year we spent um, over two months in the Beatitudes where we see that Jesus places this call of blessing for us to live out of. And in fact, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And basically, Jesus says that when you show blessing, when you show blessing to and and mercy, you'll receive mercy back. In fact, in verse 10 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so actually Jesus reminds us that when we're persecuted it's it's, it's because of who we are and it's actually a sign that as as we stand for Jesus and the kingdom of heaven that that very much is our reward and that will bring persecution, that will bring suffering when we honour the name of God. In Luke 6 Jesus puts it in this incredible um, moment of teaching to the disciples and um, we've got it here on the screen. It's, it's the, um, yeah, If you want to read it with me. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone stops you on one cheek, turn to them also the, the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Across the whole world, people know this line from Jesus, to love your enemies. This is, this is some of the most powerful and radical teaching of Jesus, and that's what Paul's picking up on. It's easy to love people that love you. The whole world does that. All religions do that. But what does it look like in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your core? What does it look like to radically love your enemies, to bless those who persecute you? The half-brother of Jesus, James, in uh, chapter 2, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Do we... Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And Jesus, he taught that. He said that if you judge others, you'll be judged. Therefore, this morning I want to encourage us to look for the areas in our heart and our minds where there's judgment and to ask and, and hand that back to Jesus. Because he has taken all judgment on the cross and that is not the language for you to walk in. That's the language of the enemy. That's the language of hate. And Jesus took all judgment, all condemnation on the cross. We've got um, a slide with with this verse, an incredible line that also echoes throughout history, mercy triumphs over judgment. Romans 8, when Paul writes in verse 1, he says that there is no condemnation in Christ. That in Christ, which you and I have a relationship with Jesus, there cannot be any more condemnation because he took it all on the cross. And he rose again and defeated it. So it's not for you. John Tyson um, describes it like this. These are the forces at war in the human heart. Mercy must defeat the desire to be right. The desire to criticize. The desire to judge. The desire to point out the fault. The way of mercy is the way of Jesus. And this is the way we all long for. Does that resonate? It's challenging. It's a really high call. But I want to be known for the language of Jesus. I want to be known to walk in the way of Jesus. And so that reminds me that the desire to be right, to criticize, to judge, that is not the way of Jesus. That's why he died. That's why he gave up his life on the cross, so that we wouldn't have to walk in sin. Because when we judge, when we um, hate, when we criticize, when we curse others, that is the language of sin. That's us stepping back into the old life that died on the cross, whereas Jesus calls us into the new life. Judgment sees the issue, but mercy sees the person, and this is how mercy triumphs. One commentator says the most glorious victory over an enemy is to turn him into a friend. Now this might sound like just a pipe dream, but this is the call. We can't change it. You've got to keep trying, keep working at this, keep asking God to move through it, and I guarantee you His promises will come true. He will, He will move through your compassion, through your blessing. I've been trying to explore this the last few years, and and I was trying to think of a few examples uh, in my life uh, to share with us this morning. Stories where blessing overcomes persecution, and, and and I guess as the youth pastor here and running Friday nights for, for many, many years, um, the deeper I go into grace, it, it really helps me. And, and I've seen God brings us more rough kids, more aggressive kids, more angry kids, and, and kids that I, I at first didn't know how to, to care for them or love them. And slowly as I've got closer to Jesus and, 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 and sought um, God's heart for this, I've been amazed as he's taught me to bless when the kids persecute me or the leaders, and I've been amazed over the years the doors it opens up, particularly with parents. If there's ever a situation where I need to call a parent and talk to them about something that um, has affected the, the safety of our youth ministry and our youth group that we, we, you know, we say is a safe and accepting place, and so often parents have been amazed that we we haven't um, we, we've given warnings, but but. Rarely and, and basically never have we ever had to, and, and under my, we've never banned a, a youth from coming. And so often the parents are amazed and it's built relationships with me and the team, with, with them. And similar with kids, I actually, in the last couple of years, I had a, um, a, an older fella in the youth group say to me, and this was after a, a huge um, interaction where um, there was a lot of correction and discipline that happened, but he came up to me the next day and he, and he said, you know, I, I've never felt not judged when I've done something wrong. I've never felt so accepted. And I was just amazed to see God move through blessing and loving someone, even where they may have done something wrong or something offensive to others. I've only been married five years, but uh, I wonder in your relationships or in your marriage or in any any part of your relationships, um, personally, I've found um, at times... Uh, if I just choose to bless my wife, Emma, even if she's in the wrong, usually the blessing doubles when it comes back. Uh, and I've, I've lived and breathed this on a day-to-day level. Um, and I share that because I'm amazed sometimes, and, and it works both ways. But um, you may be seeing something from different sides of the coin, and one of you needs to give in. Uh, Emma's far better at this um, in many, many ways, but but honestly what does it look like when you're in a conflict with someone and you just choose to stand down humble yourself love them bless them man i tell you I, the, the fruit that comes out of that is incredible uh, i've found that in my marriage but in my friendships in my team relationships that that posture of blessing over judgment is just incredible how god moves through it you see the the, the clearest teaching paul says is bless those who persecute you and do not curse. It's pretty straightforward the way he puts it. Do not curse. Yet I'm sure we are all guilty of this, whether it's in our hearts, in our minds, or out of our tongue. In the tongue is the power of death and life, Proverbs says. And so how do we get rid of that in our lives? We get it by walking closer with Jesus. You would be heartbroken to hear the stories. Over 11 years of doing youth group here, the amount of prayer that young people need for healing because of the the words and the curses that have negatively been spoken over them, uh, whether it's through their parents, through their brothers, their sisters, and, and in many ways, you would all be. Uh, many of you would have experienced this and heard about this personally and 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 within uh, your worlds but um, we have the privilege as a youth group to often at times when there's enough trust and relationship to pray healing and blessing over those that have been cursed, those that are carrying names or things that people have said in the heat of a fight or the heat of a battle. And that's not the language we're called into. And so this morning, I'm not wanting to bring guilt into those situations, but um, Steve Frost uses the word that apology is a hand grenade of grace and that I encourage you to take anything that you've maybe said to someone that you didn't mean, to go and apologize, to go and seek healing over that. And to anything that you've been wronged by, seek prayer, seek healing over that. Because if you're carrying curses or negative words in your heart or in your minds, you're carrying the language of the enemy and not blessing. But we're called to live from blessing. We're called to live from the victory of the cross. We're not trying to strive for victory Jesus has it and we're wanting to live from that victory which means there's no condemnation for anyone that's in Christ. And that's the clarity, the fresh eyes that I believe Jesus is wanting to bring to your hearts and your minds and your souls this morning. So as we come to land, I've got to do this quite quickly because you can tell that I've gone deep into the, uh, the first verse of the two. But this next posture, these two positions that Jesus um, and that Paul gives us this language for in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. These are incredible traits that we're called into, again, the way of Jesus. And in many ways, this is just another way to bless those who persecute you. But it's also just two key ways to bless one another and to love and to care for each other. There is such a temptation and a danger that in comparison and in competition that we don't celebrate the joys of other people. And it's it's probably the easiest trap that we all fall into and it's the language of the enemy that wants to distort and kill and steal and destroy joy. Whereas Jesus died for our joy, for the joy set before him. The hallmark of sincere love is Christian sympathy. And these are opportunities for worship. For some of us, this language is easy, for others harder. But we're all called to pursue it. I'm a crier. I cry with a lot of people. I cry myself. But I encourage us, whether that's easy or difficult for us, that is a language that that Christ himself wept there at the, the bed of his dead friend, Lazarus. And the 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 sympathy and the power that we see in Jesus connecting with the hearts of others is what we're called into, and that's his way. I had this analogy that it's kind of like little kids at a birthday party. When they're too young, they kind of resent the kid that's getting all the presents. And then eventually they get old enough, and they might help them open the presents, and they celebrate the presents, and they realize that their birthday is within the next 12 months, hopefully sooner. Um, And that's a secret that kids learn. Some of them at age three or four, others never learn it. Um, others are still trying. But there's this, this language that from a young age, our nature is to want what everyone else has. And we actually, every time we choose not to celebrate other people and their joys, we steal an opportunity for worship. We take away an offering to God. And so I wonder this morning in your life, who are you celebrating who do you need to send an encouraging email or text? They may be receiving something that you've been praying for, but what does it look like to encourage and bless that? Because that may be the very thing that leads you into that place. Isaiah even prophesied and promised that one day instead of sorrow, you will have joy. And I and I, um, I just believe that Paul is encouraging us to always rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Comparison steals joy. So whether it's someone who's financially more blessed than you, someone who's had a promotion, someone who's going on a better holiday or one that you've been dreaming of, someone who has new friendships, someone who's got grandchildren or children, all of these blessings, there is a danger that in our hearts we end up resenting instead of rejoicing. And who knows, your blessing and your joy may be days or weeks away and I would hate to think that I would take away that offering to God that worship and that trust to God that his blessings will come it may not always look like we we thought but he has promised us to give us everything we need and then when it comes to, to weeping with those who weep I think there's a lot we can learn from the Old Testament there's a lot we can learn from different cultures and many cultures today still cry and wail and weep for days, for weeks, in a posture of, of confronting death, confronting sadness. And so we see throughout the Old Testament people that take off their clothes and put sackcloth, cover themselves in ash, and they cry and wail and weep. A beautiful picture is Mordecai and the Jews that were scared they'd all die in Esther 3. And Jesus himself, we see his posture of weeping, There is power when we cry. There's power when we mourn together, when we go to each other's houses and we cry in the suffering. One of the best lines I've ever heard is that our tears water the ground for new growth and new promises. And the best thing we can do with our heart, our sadness, our emotion is cry, is to weep, is to tear, let them out. Your tears can water the joy, uh, water the ground for joy. You know, Revelation twenty one, and I'll finish with this picture, says that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain in heaven. One day you will not be able to weep because you'll be so filled with blessing and joy. So don't hold back your weeping now. That's what I felt God saying to me this week with this this call to weep. One day there will be no chance to cry anymore, and now's your time to cry with those are hurting. And I guarantee every one of us could think of someone to go and and mourn with them, cry with them, sit with them, be present with them. And that's what blessing looks like. I was so encouraged two weeks ago. There was a call to to come and get prayer at the front of our our evening gathering. Chrissy really boldly said, come down to the front. As a pastor, it was really vulnerable, and I felt God just say, you need prayer, you're hurting. And I ended up on my knees down the front, humbled, and and uh, young Adam Cattell came and prayed for me and, and I wept and I released so many burdens and pains and, and sadness I was carrying and he was there with me present and that's the picture of what the church can be and who Jesus was and so I wonder how present are you with one another in sadness and in suffering and so I'm going to ask Dan and the band to come up and this morning I just, I just want to open, uh, remind us What is God opening our eyes to? What does blessing look like amidst persecution, amidst others' joy, amidst others' suffering and sadness? What does following the steps of Jesus and blessing look like? So I think that's where Paul's calling us. And I think no better time for us as a church to deepen this, to have the language of Jesus and to represent God well whether we do this, the call is with each other. But for the rest of our weeks, what does that look like in your families, your workplaces and where God has placed you? Because you are representing Jesus, his bride, the church. And something happens when you bless others, when you step into the blessing of God. Why don't we all stand and Dan's going to lead us in a song of blessing.